Hey, good morning, Harvest. So glad to be able to uh, jump into the Word together with you this morning. So why don't you go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word. Go to Nehemiah chapter 4 as we continue in this series called Get Up and Work as we walk through, walk through the book of Nehemiah together. Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. And, and as you're turning there, I, I, mean, I hope that God's been doing a work in your heart in this series. I hope he's begun to stir in you that, that over the last two weeks, you, you've begun to be able to define specifically, I think this is what God's calling me to. This is the area of my life where God's saying, here's where I want you to move. Here's where I want you to get up and work at this. And, and for you, it might be an inside job. Maybe God's pressing in on your own heart saying, start here. Or, or maybe it's something in your family. Maybe it's something in our community. Maybe it's something further than that. It's to the nations and God's pressing in on your heart. And, and today, I pray that as we keep moving forward, that today's message would be an encouragement to you in what God's called you to. But I'm going to put all my cards on the table as we jump in. We're going to be talking about opposition and suffering and trials. We're going to be talking about the struggle of this work. You see, here's what can happen. We, we can get fired up for the work God's called us to, and we should. And, and we can have this pressed in on our heart and go, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then we cling to these verses like, I'm an overcomer in Christ. I'm more than a conqueror. And, and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and we jump up. We're like, yeah, I'm on this. And we forget. Listen, we forget when you step up and you say, God, do a work in me, use me, send me, listen, you're stepping into a battle. You're called to a fight. You're, you're not joining a quilting club when you, you stand up for the Lord. No, no, you're actually being enlisted on a rescue mission. And you're saying, God, I, I, want, I, want, I want you to be fully known. I want your name to be glorified. And listen, as a Christian, that should be the call of all of our hearts. It's the evidence of the Spirit of God at work in you. But listen, the, the title of today's message is this, Dealing with Opposition. You see, in chapter 1, Nehemiah's heart is burdened. He, he takes that burden to the Lord. God, I feel like you're calling me to this. This is an injustice in the world that I want to meet by your power. And he starts to plan, and he, he spends chapter 2 and 3 to continue to pray and to plan for the work. And I mean, chapter 3, they, get, they start to get down into it, start to actually doing the work. But then, listen, listen, the next three chapters, chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, are all about opposition to the work. You start to wonder as you read through Nehemiah, God, what are you trying to show us? What are you showing us in this about what it is to get up and work, about what it is to do your will? I mean, these guys here, they're prayed up. Their hearts are in the right place. They're wanting to do what God's called them to do. They've organized. They've gotten into it. They're ready to go. Let's do this. And then look what happens right away in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. When Sanballat, Heard, remember Sanblad, he's that guy who was already, we introduced to him last week. He, he's opposed to the work. He doesn't like what they're doing, all right? When Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones or the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, yes, that's what they're building. If a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. 
What are we seeing right away? Listen, listen, if you're called by God to step out and you're stepping into the work he's called you to, expect opposition. Expect opposition. Then when I say opposition, here's what I mean. I want us to make sure we understand what I mean by opposition. It's anything or anyone that threatens your perseverance in the faith or the work that God's called you to. All right, so it's, it's anyone or anything that's, that's threatening your perseverance in the faith and the work that God's called you to. Now, you have to understand, why am I saying it that way? Because opposition for the Christian is, is all of what the, the whole theme of this series is about. It's not about your goals and your dreams and your reputation and your name or your comfort. It's, it's opposition that comes against what God wants to do in you and through you. That's what the opposition is. And, and for us to recognize that any time that God leads us to something meaningful, to, to make a difference, something that's, that's generous, something that, that benefits others, something that's lasting, something that's for God's glory for eternity, you can expect opposition. You, you can expect a spiritual resistance that's going to come in and try to slow up that work in your life. It's going to try to stop that work that God's called you to. Why? Why? Because, listen, the devil hates a couple things, all right? One thing he hates, he hates to lose control. You start to make changes in your life, right? You start to move in a new direction. You, you start to walk in grace and in righteousness and holiness. You start to have a heart that's about the glory of God. You see, Satan's like, no, I want to control you. So when you start to, start to, to take back your thought life, and those destructive thoughts, those lustful thoughts, those toxic thoughts. Listen, when you start to say, no, I'm not just letting those go any longer, there will be a battle. Satan will fight for that. When you step into your home life and say, I'm going to start to press in on my marriage or my parenting. When you start praying together as a family, there will be a battle. Satan does not want to lose control. Now, Satan also hates this. He hates losing territory. Well, when you start to move into dark places, when, when we're planting churches, when we're stepping into hurting lives, and we're saying, we don't want to be a church that's just about gathering together. No, we actually want to press into those broken, dark, hurt places in each other's lives. And we want to go into those dark corners where the gospel light has not shone. When we want to spend our time and our finances to, to reach into families' lives, to reach into communities, to reach into countries that don't have a gospel presence. You start to press into that. Listen, there will be a battle. Satan does not want to give up that territory. You probably see this just in your own life, just in daily life. When you try to get into the word, what happens? Time starts to fight against you, doesn't it? You say, I'm going to start to serve, and then someone treats you poorly. You say, I, I want to give sacrificially, and all of a sudden that huge bill comes in. You tell somebody, maybe in these last couple of weeks, you've been starting to talk about that burden that's on your heart, and you tell someone, and, and their response to you is, well, who do you think you are? Are you sure you're the right person to do that? Don't be surprised when you face opposition as you step out to do the work of the Lord. I think the, the beatitude we all hate is, blessed are those who are persecuted, Right? 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. The one we follow, Jesus Christ, he died young in shame. And listen, if you, if you identify with Jesus, you will be despised. 
Don't ever be surprised when you take a step of faith and you see the enemy push back against that. Why? Because advancement invites opposition. Satan's not going to bother those who aren't a threat. If, if you never get up and work, if you never pursue righteousness and godliness, if, if you don't care more about God's glory than your own wants and, and comfort, if, if, listen, if you're not on a mission, Satan will leave you alone. But the moment you step out, the moment you try to honor God, it's like sirens go off in hell and demons are released to go and stop you from doing what you know God's called you to do. Listen, Satan's army is finite. He does not have, have just a, an infinite amount of demons to do his work. No, no, he has a finite army and so he's, he's crafty, he's smart. He's like, I'm not gonna deploy demons to, to a group of people who are doing nothing. If that church is dead, we could just pull the troops out because they're not moving at all. But listen, as soon as you stand up, You should expect spiritual opposition when you are leaning in to do the will of God. If you don't want opposition, if you want a real easy life, here, here's how you do it. I'll, I'll give you the way to have just an easy life with no opposition. Well, here, here's what I'd recommend. Just coast along. Do, do your comfortable thing. Live a comfortable life. Create that, that perfect little environment for, for your safe little life where you can take the, the best selfies, hashtag blessed. You could go to church if you want, but whatever you do, don't engage in church. Don't pray with people. Don't serve in church. Don't give to the church. Don't care about what God cares about. You can do some spiritual things, but just enough to feel good. Not enough to make a real difference. Because listen, the, the moment you step out of your comfort zone, the moment you seek the God of heaven and try to represent his love, try to do something significant, something that, that has eternal implications, you will face persecution. I would say this, God is calling all of us who are followers of his to step up. There's some of you, you're, you're feeling that this, these last couple of weeks where you're, you know God's calling you to serve. God's calling you to give. God's calling you to invite. God's calling you to show love and grace and the gospel to the world around you. And listen, the moment you do, maybe you're already feeling it, you will face opposition. And look again at verse 1. It says, when Sambalat heard they were building the wall, he was angry. All right, He, he goes from, remember in chapter 2, he was displeased they were building the wall. Now he's enraged about this, greatly enraged that they were doing this. Look at verse 2. goes on, right? As he's enraged, he, he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, don't do you like that? Critics usually have a crowd around them, right? They invite other critics into their life. Hey, hey, you agree with me, right? Let's go after these guys, right? He draws this crowd, and, and he calls them. He says, what are they going to do? They're going to restore this? They're going to build this up? He's already called them the, these feeble Jews. That, that, that word feeble there in, in your Bible, it, it means a wilted flower, right? So it kind of has that, that image about it. You're super weak. Then verse 3, you got this other guy, Tobiah. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. And he said, yeah, what they're building, a fox goes up on it, he'll break down their stone wall. I just pictured Tobiah as that, you know when there's the, the big bully and there's that little guy beside the bully, he's kind of maybe even behind the bully? And he's saying, yeah, 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 right, right, Sanballat, right, a fox could wreck it, huh? Now we read this, these first few verses, and, and you can kind of think it's just schoolyard mocking. 
And that, that can be hard enough. When you step out to follow Jesus, the, the amount of mocking you can receive, the, the jeers you can hear. But listen, this is more than just that. It's even more than that. The, the people that surround this, the Jerusalem, the people that are surrounding God's people here are enemy nations. They can back up these threats. They have the power. That's why they're mocking. Don't you feel that sometimes? Where it feels like our whole culture is pressing in against what God's called us to do. Where, where scripture says this is clearly how you're to live and culture says, no, we're going to push against that. I mean, forget about just what we face in North America. I mean, we're still on the, the front end of what probably is coming. But you look at other nations where more than just mocking and jeering and being countercultural, no, you, you can be imprisoned for standing up for Christ. You, you can lose your, your ability to work. You can even be put to death. Here, here in Canada, what do we face? We, we face this culture of narcissism, of consumerism, of, of individualism, of hypersexuality. It's bombarding us daily. In fact, what it's creating, I heard one author that I was reading say it this way. He said that, that all, this, all this narcissism and consumerism and individualism and the hypersexuality of our culture, it's creating a, he calls it a super flat culture. There's no depth to it. There's no transcendence any longer. So, so what do we do then? Because we have no transcendence, no, no sense of eternity, we start to pursue entertainment, social media, and we, we pursue that over meaning. We, we start to pursue comfort over mission. We start to be satisfied with, with shallow experiences over, over transparent, life-giving community. And we stay on the outside. We stay up on the surface of the super flat culture and avoid the depth. And we're fighting constantly this culture around us. Why? Because if not, we just begin as Christians to blend in and become part of the same culture. I mean, where are you seeing it in your life? As you step up to live for Christ, where are you finding the opposition? What's tempting or threatening your perseverance in the faith? What's opposing the work God's called you to? Maybe for you it's a, a strained relationship. Maybe it's difficulty in your workplace. There's strife there that, that makes it hard to live for Christ. Maybe for you it's, it's things you're battling on your own. You're battling an illness or, or, or mental health struggles. Maybe it's people around you, teachers or friends or coworkers or, or a boss, and they, they just dig at your heart all the time, pressing in at your heart for following Christ. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's just comforts and distractions that draw your heart. Maybe it's just a general lack of drive to pursue anything Whatever it is that's threatening your perseverance in the faith, whatever it is that's, that's coming and hindering your ability to, to be fruitful and faithful to the work that God's called to, stopping you from getting up, the key question we need to ask is, what do I do? How do I respond to this opposition? Look at verses 4 to 6. It says this. Verse 4 says, Hear, O God. This is how Nehemiah responds to all this opposition. He says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. 
Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked to anger in the presence of these builders. Verse six goes on. So we built the wall and the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. What's Nehemiah's response to this expected opposition? To pray and work. How do we respond? We we respond by praying and working. Now, the the prayer that Nehemiah gives up, it's a weird prayer for sure, all right? I mean, we don't don't rock these prayers out very often in church, do we? We're like, God, just wreck that guy. God, take him out. God, don't let him feel any peace. God, you just destroy them. What's so amazing about this, and we can kind of figure out what is this whole imprecatory song. We're going to talk a bit more about that way of praying as we go on here, but, but here's what I want you to see. Nehemiah's first response to the opposition is to go right to the Lord. Yeah, he's got some serious vengeance prayers here, but notice what he's doing. He's not taking the vengeance himself. He's giving it to the Lord. God, you take care of this. God, you deal with this. God, I trust you with these people who are coming against me. And it says in verse 6, what's it say? It says that they just kept building. We built the wall. We kept building. It's like the opposition didn't slow them up at all. They just kept praying and working. Now, Now, what made Nehemiah able to, in the face of that opposition that came at him strong, to just keep moving forward? They go, I'm just gonna pray and we're gonna keep working. Here's what I think it was. How could Nehemiah do that? He wasn't knocked off his game at all because of this. He, he really understood the first point we just talked about this morning. He expected the opposition. Now think of it this way. If I'm walking through Walmart with a loaf of bread, and I'm walking down the aisle, and out of nowhere a dude flies through the air, tackles me to the ground... Like, I'm going to be shocked by that. I'll probably be a bit angry. I'll be questioning, what are you doing? I won't just keep on shopping. But, but instead of a loaf of bread, what if I was carrying a football? And I was playing football, and I'm running for the end zone. Then when that dude flies out of nowhere and tackles me, I'm expecting that. I get up, we keep playing. When you expect the opposition, you you can keep moving. If you don't expect any opposition, listen, this is why we're talking about this. I believe this is why God's word is so clear over and over again. Expect opposition to set us up so that when our world falls apart, it, it doesn't feel like we're being tackled in the middle of Walmart. We can get right back to the work. Because listen, listen, if you're not expecting, if your worldview, if your doctrine says, no, 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 I shouldn't have any suffering. Listen, when that suffering comes, you're laying on your back in the middle of that aisle in Walmart, looking up, at, at, going, how did this happen, right? And, and, and you respond in despair. You respond in anger. You respond in fear and anxiety and hopelessness. We start to question God. God, this is not what I expected. Listen, when we have this unhealthy, Jesus only wants to bless me kind of junk theology, when we're hit with the opposition, we start to question, God, are you actually faithful? God, are you actually good? I mean, Jesus himself said, if they oppose me, how do you think they'll treat you? Jesus wanted us to have these healthy expectations about what it was going to mean to follow him faithfully. And and listen, you've been called to bring the light and the, the grace and the goodness and the hope of Jesus to a broken world. You've been called to live out the light 
and the grace and the hope of the gospel, but you've been called to do it in a dark and fallen place. I do premarital counseling a lot, and, 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 and one of my favorite resources to use as we, I get together with these young, engaged couples is this book by Paul Tripp called What Did You Expect? What Did You Expect? And, and here's, what, here's what it is. You see, when you get two young people who are just so in love, and they're so young, and they, they can have this, some of them can have this weird view of marriage, where they just think, man, my marriage is going to be like a rom-com every day. We are a match made in heaven which is, could be true. You might be a match made in heaven, but understand this, God also makes tornadoes and hurricanes in heaven as well. Here's what Tripp says in his book, What Did You Expect? It's when you come into those places where marriage is hard, he's like, what did you expect? You're two sinful people in a sinful world coming together to live together. So we can struggle in marriage, not... Not just because of the difficulty to come. What happens most often, though, our marriage becomes a deeper struggle than, than just the difficulties we face because we didn't realize that we were playing football. We thought we were just walking through the aisle of Walmart. And the difficulties tackle us to the ground because we weren't expecting them. Maybe that's where you are today. You're deeply discouraged about your faith. You're deeply discouraged because something's gone wrong in your life and you can't understand how, how, how can God still be faithful here? And so what do you do? You, you begin to pull away from God. You begin to pull away from the life-changing, eternity-transforming work he's called you to. But Jesus said this. He says, listen, I, I promise you this. He says, you're gonna have trouble in this world. But then he gives us this great promise. But take heart, I've overcome the world, he says. I'll never leave you or forsake you. When you don't expect the trials, though, when we create this goofy doctrine that tells us that, that there's no room for trials in a Christian's life, you either abandon the mission or you abandon God when those trials come. Maybe that's where you are this morning. You're going to see that in your life where, where it's been hard and, and you've left the work. You've come down off the wall. Maybe you can even begin to look back and go, man, I know why. I, I know the place that it happened. I mean, for me, I, I remember going through high school and beginning slowly to pull away from my faith. Why? Because I, I saw the hypocrisy of church. I, I was drawn in also by the draw of popularity. I mean, I, I want to be liked and known. And listen, following Jesus does not make you popular. And it took me off the work. It took me off the wall for years. What about you this morning? I mean, have you stepped away from the wall? Can, can you look back and see the opposition? You, you can remember that comment that was made. That, that, that trial you went through, the unmet expectation that you had. I want to encourage you this morning. Listen, God is good. God is faithful. He, he loves you, and he's calling you back to the amazing work he first called you to. I mean, Nehemiah faces opposition. He's expecting it. Why? Because he's put his hope fully in the character of God. God, you're a good God, and you've called me to this work. So he prays, and he works. Now, you'd think after, after verse 6, I mean, if this is a Disney movie, the next scene, you would see this beautifully built wall completed, that Nehemiah would be beside his princess. They'd be singing a really cool song about it. But, but look at verse 7. 
But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem were going forward, that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So so they pray, they go back to work, and more opposition comes. And now it's not just mocking. Now it's actually a fight. I love it. It's so real where where you're like, okay, I'm expecting it. I get it. I get it, Pastor Kai. I've got a good doctrine of suffering under me. I, I know that as I step out to serve Christ that I can expect suffering. Listen, you can still be rocked. The opposition can still come. And listen, especially the kind of opposition that isn't a one-time hit where somebody just mocks you. No, it's the ongoing, the long-lasting struggle. And, and, and even this morning, you go, man, I'm just so tired. And you have a good theology of, of, of opposition and suffering, and, and you love Jesus with your whole being, and you're, you're filled with faith for the work he's called you to, but the onslaught of opposition just won't stop. And you've prayed, you've stayed faithful, and the opposition actually got worse. Now, did God not answer Nehemiah's prayer here? Does God actually not love Nehemiah and his people here? No, 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 no. Remember, we're in a fallen world. And so often, listen, God is at work doing things that we don't actually understand, that we can't actually see. But even in saying that, I get it, it is so hard. That, that sickness that won't relent. The marriage that is still so difficulty, the opposition that's so strong, the finances that are so tight. Listen, as simple as the baby that just won't sleep through the night, your, your teenager pushing back on everything, your friends who just don't get it, the relationships that are still not mended after years of praying and grace and forgiveness and trying and these long burdens They can start to cause a couple things to happen. Good things. They're hard, they're difficult, but listen, listen. In those times of long burdens, our hope and our faith can be fully exposed. Listen, I I can survive the quick hits, right? You can kind of spiritually flex, you can kind of do it in your own strength, you kind of move past, you endure, you adapt, you can cope, you can sort of change things up a bit, call an audible on the play, and you move, and everything's okay after that. But long-term opposition and struggle, you just can't do that. You can't do that at all in your own strength. What happens? These ongoing trials, the long suffering begins to wash away our weak foundation and it begins to expose us. But here's why it's so amazing that God in his grace would do that because if we remain under that trial, if we allow God to keep pressing in on us, we don't bail on the mission, we don't bail on the marriage, we don't bail on the church, we don't bail on the faith, Because right, if you do, you lose the beauty of the brokenness of what God is creating in that moment. Listen, your, your opposition steps in and God's at work and he's lovingly pulling away these false foundations, these things we build under us, things that don't last. And if we keep standing on them, we'll come to our destruction. And as God pulls us away, listen, there's a moment in this. We begin to lean in on him and we know God in a way we've never known him before. We begin to stand on something more solid. We begin, to, we begin to experience God in the valley of the shadow of death in a way we never experienced him on the mountaintop. 
And you notice here that Nehemiah doesn't give any attention to these mockers. He gives no time to the opposition. His, his focus doesn't go to the opposition. He's not worrying about trying to control the trial. His focus was not, how do I remove this discomfort? How do I take out Sanballat and Tobias? No, his focus wasn't on the opposition at all. Do you ever find yourself, when, when you're up against something, that, that that draws all your attention? That you, you spend your time thinking always about the trial. And your heart is spending more time thinking about Sanblat than it is about Jesus. You, you spend more time talking to your anxiety, your temptation, your fear, your sin, your idol, than you're talking to Jesus, than you're seeking after Jesus. Listen, in the midst of that wilderness, God is there. But as a loving father, he's more concerned with growing you to be more like Jesus, growing you to trust him more. He, he has more concern for that than just removing the trial. So, so we can focus fully on the trial and we miss God in the midst of it. And it leads us to, listen, it leads to despair, to discouragement, to disengagement. And all the while, God is saying, I love you. See me. Life's found in me. He would say to us, my love for you is that I would do everything, anything to make you more like Jesus. And this pain then is used to teach us what the idol of comfort that we so desperately seek could never do. Unless we also recognize this as God is at work, doing that work of grace. Listen, Jesus knows we run to him as our hope and as our refuge. And we, we hear in that moment the whisper of God that says, trust me. Qu quit trying to get rid of the pain. Quit trying to get out of the wilderness and trust me through it. Hold on to me in it. And Nehemiah prayed and he got back to work. And look at verse 9. And we prayed to our God and we set a guard as a protection against them day and night. They, they set their heart on the Lord in the midst of their persecution. We prayed to God. We, we set a guard. So, okay, this isn't going to happen. We're not going to let them do this to take over the work we've been called to. But I love it. They, they didn't just stop at let's just pray and guard. Look as these verses go on. Verse 10 says this. In Judah, it said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is falling, failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we'll not be able to rebuild the wall. And, and our enemies said they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So they're, they're working. They're, they're trying to set into it, but it's hard work. It's, it's too hard. The boulders are so huge. We're starting to, to crumble under the weight of this work. And, and not just that, but our enemies are coming to kill us and to stop us. Look at verse 12. And at the time, it gets worse. The Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. And the opposition is now coming from the inside. It's not just outside opposition. Now their own people are saying, hey, leave the work, man. Stop what you're doing. Just come back and just live at home. Come back and help with our crops. Come back and be with us. It goes on, verse 13 and 14. 
So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I station the people by their clans. He's putting with families, with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I, I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah again calls them to keep their focus on the one who called them. Listen, we, we look to the one who said, this is the work I've called you to do. And he says, it's now a time for us to fight together. The enemy is hard at work trying to have us fight each other, to be mad at each other, to be divided by the dumbest, silly offenses. But listen, listen, we're called to fight together. We're called to fight for our families, for our marriages, for our church, for our communities, for those who don't know Jesus across Muskoka and to the nations. That's what we're called to. And yet the opposition wants to come in, Satan wants to come in and begin to divide us. Hey, fight each other. Nehemiah continues the work. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. The work started again, and look at the focus. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. I love this. Listen, they're working. They're praying. They've got a, a sword and a shovel. They're like, we're, we're going to do the practical, holding the shovel to do the work we've been called to, and we're going to hold the sword, the spiritual, the supernatural. We're going to pray as a family, but we're also going to press in and work on relationships. We're going to worship and study God's word together, holding the sword, but we're also going to put it into action, holding a shovel at the same time. Listen, the devil cannot stand it when you hold both a sword and a shovel together. And so often he's okay with us holding a shovel. Hey, you want to hold on to a shovel and do work without the help of the spirit of God? Go ahead. Or he's great for those who only hold on to the sword. Hey, you want to keep having more and more Bible studies and just keep growing your head full of knowledge but never putting it into action? That's okay. But listen, there is power that happens when we hold both the sword and the shovel. God's at work in that. And we fully, fully depend on God. God, you're my only hope. You're the strength. But listen, we also pick up the shovel. Again, like I said last week, God will go before you. God will work through you, but God will not do the work for you. Pick up your sword, and listen, listen, pick up your shovel. Last verses as we close. Verses 19 and 20 say this. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall far from each other. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Man, I love this. Man, I love, here's what he's saying. We're getting spread out because we're doing the work. So, so, so we're going to have trumpets here. We're all working. I love, you see that everybody's at work from the nobles, the leaders to every, everybody. You read through chapter three, man, it's men and women and kids. It's all of us working together for the cause of the gospel. But as that happens, listen, I I get it, man. It happens here in our church. People get tired. Small group leaders get tired. Pastors get wore out. People get tired. When that happens, Nehemiah is saying, blow the trumpet. Sound the trumpet. Let's rally together. 
Let's come together. We need each other. Maybe today you know somebody that needs a, a trumpet sound. You know someone who's been, this whole social isolation has been so hard on them and you need to blow the trumpet. You need to rally around them and come to them and remind them our God will fight for us. Now why is this chapter here? I think it's this, to remind us to get up and do the work. But when we do, we will face opposition. But listen, our God will fight for us. So what's the burden on your heart that God's called you to? Define it. What is it? But know this, it won't be easy. You will need a sword and you will need a shovel. The mission of the glory of God is so great, so we go. We sound the trumpet, harvest. We sound the trumpet and we go. And we recognize that Jesus said, hey, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. You'll face persecution everywhere you go. But he says this, don't be anxious about what you have to say. Don't be anxious about the work you've been called to is what Jesus is saying. Why, why? He says, because I'm going with you. And we'll have something so much greater than the comfort we could seek here. Something so far greater than, than a reputation or a name here and now. I mean, remember again the prayer that Nehemiah prayed? Remember that? He's like, God, God, just kill them. Wipe them out. Don't forgive their sin. Just, just take them out. Pour your wrath out upon them. Listen, here's what we know on this side of the cross. Why we wouldn't pray a prayer like that on this side of the cross? Because we know this, that God answered that prayer of destruction, of his wrath being poured out, but he poured it out on his own son. Jesus was stricken and beaten and crucified and despised so that we would not be destroyed, so that we could have a name that would never die. We could have a reputation, a name. Jesus was despised so that you could never be despised in the long run, that, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, that our reputation is secure. Why? Because Jesus was despised, because he made himself of no reputation, because he emptied out his glory, because he took all the persecution we can now say, Jesus, I look to you for my vindication. And so we forgive, we love, we walk in grace, we can take a little bit of shame, we can take persecution, we can take opposition, we can take the long struggle, because in Jesus Christ, we have a wall of protection. Psalm, Psalm 34, 5 says this, those who look to him are radiant, their faces will never be ashamed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would move among us pray that you'd move among our marriages, you'd move among our church, you'd move in our community. God, you would send us out. And Lord, as we go out, that we would know that as we step out, we will face opposition. But God, I pray that you would move us to not be a people that just always seek comfort. But instead, we'd be those who seek your name, your fame, your glory to know that we are more than conquerors in you, Christ, as we hold on to the sword and hold on to the shovel. Lord, would you send us out into the work to do your work, to see lives transformed. And God, let it start with us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.